Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast, actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. After dun, party dun, dun. 57. Dun, dun. Yeah. Seven. Big five the one seven. Where we talk about a big old bird. Big bird. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we got lots to cover in this one. I uh, suppose uh, we are back once again following uh, episode 171, but I suppose let's jump a little bit further back to episode 169. Nice. Which was uh, you guys finishing your exploration of Lantern Vault before teaming up with uh, Tefnaju to go and speak with the Sphinx, the Gypso Sphinx, Kai Utef. And he didn't try to kill us. Nope. <laughs> Just show us visions of, our, of us dying. Yeah, but I think that was like the one of the worries that like if we didn't diplomatize just right with him that he would attack us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Tefna Jew could have backed us up on that one, unlike all the other fights. That yeah. is true. true. <laughs> the guy is neutral evil, so it would be an inevitable betrayal. The Sphinx, I'm assuming? Yes. Oh, yeah, because we'd also asked for his help, and he's like, ha, 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 no. <laughs> Most of that episode was spent uh, navigating around, kind of wrapping things up with the Lantern Vault, and mm-hmm. then... Uh, making your way to go and speak with Kaiutef, getting your death prophecies, which was fun, which is part of his uh, mystic sight ability. Cool. Yeah, I also appreciate that it's like randomly determined. So, you know, it's just like whatever you rolled on the dice is what you get for your potential death. I made things a little easier on myself where uh, I counted the number of additional maps that I had already programmed in for roll 20, which is the entirety of this book and next book. And then uh, just had you guys bounce the dice to determine what map I put you on. And then just went, what do I think is the most likely deadly encounter on this map? Probably this thing. (laughs) Probably a good way to go about it. Also, I appreciate it because it's foreshadowing. (laughs) I mean, technically, yes. You're going to get into a fight. It's just like, just like that gypsy woman told me before, (laughs) you know, you nearly get killed. So unless, of course, you find an occasion where you can go, this seems close enough to my death prophecy. Even if it's not the one I I thought of. I'm going to look on the back of my sheet where I wrote down the notes on mine. Nope. That wasn't, we haven't hit that yet. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, I did not write notes on this. No. But uh, yeah, so you guys had a quick talk with uh, Kautef. Again, one of those weird situations where it's a third party Midgard bestiary for the the monster coming out of this, which is a little strange. Interesting. (laughs) So, and I didn't have to use any of his uh, cool abilities, which did include Slay Living, which is fun. Oh. Oh my. Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, though, fun. three times per day legend lore. Interesting. That's rad. That's like, that's pretty awesome. Interesting, considering he's like a death sphinx kind of. Yeah, he can also cast Augury at will. Oh, that's cool, too. No, I so, mean, that goes with the whole like fortune telling people's deaths. Like, you know, I can yeah, see that. I, legend lore is a weird one, though. I mean, it's, it's still determining the past of something, which I guess can kind of get into determining its future. It's very interesting. I think it came up on the uh, the Discord where they're talking about how he can kind of bluff people with like, I've foreseen your death sort of thing. Because his mystic sight allows him to either use it as a warning or a threat. Nice. So he can threaten you with a future death? Yeah. In all of your cases, you got the warning, but there was the threat side also where the Gypso Sphinx issues a threat affecting a target becomes uh, convinced that death awaits them in that form. The next time the victim is confronted with something that could be interpreted as being the predicted f- deadly threat, it becomes staggered with fear as long as the threat persists. Oh, wow. Uh, if the victim survives this threat alive, it must attempt a DC 25 will save to end the effect. Otherwise, the threat persists until the next time that such an event comes to pass. Wow. So in essence, you're like, oh, I survived that. That must not have been the case. It must be the next time. Oh. 
Wow. God, it's such is, a Is that like a order. curse effect or like, like, can you get rid of that? It is a fear effect. So I guess if you're a paladin, you're just like, man, eh, we all die someday. You just kind of shrug and walk it off. But I feel like you should get a bonus if you're a Phrasman follower too. It's like, I mean, everybody's got to die. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was racking my brain trying to think of what it reminded me of, and it's uh, from the book A Court of Thorns and Roses. They have the the bone carver who actually carves a scene of your death into bones, hmm. which is pretty cool. All right, who had on their bingo card A Court of Thorn- Thorns and Roses is mentioned? <laughs> I actually don't that's know how often common. I mentioned that No, it's that actually one. not that common, no. It is a fantastic book series, though, and I recommend you check it out. Yeah. Sarah J. Moss. Apparently the fans, by the way, actually did make bingo cards for us. There's one, that's on hilarious. The, there's one for Mummy's really? Mask on the Discord, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. so everybody grab funny. your bingo cards. <laughs> yep. I'm pretty sure I trigger a couple of them every single time that I talk. Probably. They have some really funny ones, actually. Like, apparently one of mine is if I say, no! Yours is also Jordan forgets a, you know, forgets a, a, an a ability. For, forgets a class ability, yes. Speaking <laughs> of forgetting class space. abilities, though. In the uh, following episode, you met with Conjurate the Dust Taker, who had forgotten many of his class abilities because you stole them from him because of his. What? Okay, so what were his mythic abilities? Yeah. That oh, God, they were yeah. so great. Uh, so, first off, Conjurate does have, uh, or would have, uh, mythic mage armor, Whoa. which is pretty cool. Uh, it's like mage armor, except for it gives you a plus six bonus, and you get a 50. It basically gives you a 50% fortification. Hmm. Wow. Which is pretty awesome, That's especially pretty for cool. something like mage armor. Which means citrus sneak attack every single time. She so have to roll 50% percentile. Yep. yep, that would have been unfortunate. Yeah. I would not have enjoyed that. And the other one uh, was mythic reverse gravity. Reverse gravity? Yeah. Once per round as a move action, you may select one secured creature, one that succeeded on its reflex save or attached object, and force it to attempt a fortitude save against the spell. The selected creature or object can weigh no more than 100 pounds. Per caster level, if it fails to save, it's pulled free and falls upwards. So even if you make the initial Ooh. save or grab onto something, You're they still... can then just keep yep. pulling you up. Wow. Wow. As a move action, by the way. Yes. Yeah. And once you're up in the air, it can then use its flyby attack, its amazing reach. I believe it has the ability to grab you and then just drop you once it pulls you free of the reverse gravity. Of course it does. Why wouldn't it? Makes so. sense, yeah. It's mythic. Yep. Yeah, doing yeah. that as a move action is a real jerk move. <laughs> it also gets a uh, mind blank if it uh, Whoa. hasn't been stripped wow. of that. Uh, greater scrying, which it can use. And, uh, so it would have probably seen us coming. I'm not positive how this last one works because I haven't uh, looked at the mythic version of this. Hold on. What is it? Mythic telekinesis. Oh. Yeah, for the duration of the spell... You can change it to one round per level. You may spend a move action to use the sustain force or combat maneuver effects of the spell. When using sustain force, you can move a number of objects equal to your tier. These must be in the same square together to weigh no more. Using the violent thrust effect ends the spell, but the weight restriction increases to 50 pounds per caster level to a maximum 175 pounds. So yeah, with the myth that telekinesis could fly around in like wide circles outside of your range and then hit you with the uh, 400 feet plus 40 feet per caster level range of telekinesis and just shove you out of the reverse gravity. Wow. It's a fun combination of abilities, and I'm a little sad I didn't get to use it. I'm not. I, yeah, I'm going to I was, was going to say our wizard would have had a bad That battle time. was kind of rough as it was. I don't need it telekinesing, reverse gravitying us all over the freaking place. 
I mean, I might have done something with some gravity something. I have a gravity spell I've never really used because it never seems to come up. But then it came up like twice in the past like day. So who knows? Yeah. Well, it's, it's the issue though if you're trying to get a gargantuan creature or was it colossal? A massive creature you're trying big. to get to like do whatever. It's like, I mean, if it has any kind of weight limitation, it's going to be well above it. But yeah, you guys did uh, eventually successfully defeat Kinjutra, however. Yeah, and, uh, and killed him, considering he actually does have a... Uh, he flees if reduced to 75 points of or fewer. Oh. Well, I'm glad Hockatep won't have his giant bird to yeah, try to Yeah, that would have been later. bad news, bears. Well, apparently he uh, uses his greater scrying if that's returned back to him, scries the party, and then waits to ambush you as you leave other places after exhausting your abilities. Oh, and I love the idea that he would have waited with us thinking, oh, well, we need to keep moving on. He's probably gone to Hockatep and then been like, hey, 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 back. surprise. <laughs> that's amazing. That's pretty funny. Tricky, tricky. But you did end up defeating Kinjurit. The yeah, the one thing taker. that disappointed me though is you—you you did this great like description of like the storm clouds overhead and all this stuff, and not a single lightning ability. Nope. Oh yeah, that was funny. I was sad because Hollis did the communal yeah. resist energy well, and it didn't that, come into play so. at all. And I had Masika not use lightning stuff just on the off chance. Yeah. And even without his mythic abilities, that bird was a challenge. No, he does tons of damage. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's a full-grown rock. They'll rock you like a hurricane. Yeah. He's an advanced awakened rock, so. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he would be awakened. Yeah, but you did get to uh, to fireball him in the face. You guys got to fight him. I got to use a seldom used hover mechanic of kicking up sand and creating a <laughs> an area of obscurement. He basically went all Pidgeotto on it. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's like it's doing a little whirlwind or a sand attack or whatever, you know. That is never as effective in Pokemon as it was in this fight, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, no, no. Pidgey is, I believe, I believe the smaller. term is it was super effective. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was. Uh, Rick's funny. Except uh, the fighting type, Sudi Contar, was also super effective against a bird, so. I, I don't know if I was super effective because uh, I, I hit the end of that with... Uh, like 126 out of 180 hit points, and that was after taking what, like one hit from it. So I don't know if that was super effective. No, nope. but yeah, you guys did manage to defeat it. At which point uh, we got into the uh, the following episode, episode 171, where you went to uh, well, you returned back to the Lantern Vault. You switched out your various debuff abilities on the people here, and then uh, went and talked to Beck, Beck and Tofra. Tofra. Yep. Yeah. So what's his deal? Why does he care so much about this sand cascade? And is it supposed to be? I thought we got his story. There's a little part of me that really wants it to be Beckon Tafra, because Toph Toph Earth. In my head, I abbreviated him to Toph, and I was like, hee hee. I mean, it could be. It's uh, T-O-F-R-A, so it could be Tafra. Well, from (laughs) the way he was talking, it sounds like the sand cascade was here before the trenches, because he said he'd been here for like a million years. Well, that was days, I think. Uh, the very long something. story short is uh, Beck and Tafra is a mythic earth elemental, uh, not under any magical compulsions to serve here. Uh, Hakatep appealed to Beck and Tafra's sense of pride and obsessive nature with all things earth and stone, down to the tiniest grain of sand. As the passage of time is inconsequential to Beck and Tafra, the mythic elder elemental agreed to serve here amid the cascading grains of sand as a sort of supervisor to ensure that all the grains go accounted for and that none are lost. What would cripple most other minds with its repetitive ban- banality is for Beck and Tofra, the height of import and interest. 
And yet his task is not so all-consuming that he can't perform what he considers to be a secondary job, which is preventing intruders from entering the Monument Vault. Uh, the Earth Elemental has a strange interpretation for this duty, though. Anyone who can enter the vault without disturbing so much as a single grain of sand is, in Beckentofra's crystalline eyes, not an interloper. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we basically got him to say, hey, you can go by basically on a loophole. Yeah, it does specify that anyone who disturbs the curtain, even accidentally or in a minor way like tossing a pebble, uh, can expect to face his immediate and furious anger. <laughs> And I imagine that he is uh, no slouch being a yeah. elder earth elemental. Uh, that's not the, like in my brain, I was like, oh God, don't touch the sand. I know you want to touch the sand just to see, but don't touch the sand. I mean, it's not special sand or anything. No, but it's funny. There's something about being told not to that I'm just like, <laughs> we got a little ODD over here. Just a little, just in the whole like, even one grain of sand. Also, I want to know about these tiny earth elementals that like move the sand. You know what I imagine? I imagine from Spirited Away, the little, little yes! creatures, and they just yes, kind of float up and down, smaller. but maybe they're invisible. Yeah, apparently there are earth elementals in there. Um, there are hundreds of tons of sands. The elemental spirits clear away the sand before it hits the bottom of the desert valley, rerouting it through tunnels carved into the rock, creating it back up to the openings just at the edge of the trench side above, creating the illusion of a sand cascade that starts from nothing and goes nowhere. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, one of the details I really liked was, uh, and I'm guessing that it's actually written in there, was you spouting off the, all the numbers of how long he's been here and how many grains of it sand there are and everything. not. What? I just did some multiplication, given because you don't know specifically when in the year it was. So, yeah, 2,313,613 rotations is approximately the 6,000 years <laughs> since this place was built. <laughs> nice. Wow. And uh, I just did some basic math on, uh, I basic Googled a whole bunch of things on like sand and all the rest of that and like how much sand is per square foot. And then I just multiplied it out because there'd be a lot of air, which is how I came up with the uh, 13 trillion, 266 billion, 169 million, 344,401 grains of sand. 525,600 huh. minutes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So who created this sand cascade? I mean, Pocket it had top. to have been. Okay, so he just summoned some earth elementals and made a curtain and then said, somebody watch this. Yeah, basically. Seems right. Yeah, I just, these I are just, just like earth elementals that, that aren't like... bound into the obelisks. I mean, it's just so convoluted, even for Hockatech. Everything <laughs> they do is convoluted. Okay, but here's the thing. Ultimate magic flex. <laughs> Not yeah, only did that. I make this entire, like, crazy, you know, construct with all this sand and stuff, I got some mythical earth elemental to go watch it all for me. Without magic, though. Without a single spell being cast. What a flex. Yeah. I don't know if that's the flex he would want, though, because, like, aren't Nethus people all like, it should have a magical solution? It's extra Nethus planar. does believe. But he's not a Nethus person. I think he's a set person. That's yeah. true. Also, he might be a set person. But, yeah, no, but it's it's extra planar. Well, and also, while Beck and Topher is not bound here, all the Earth Elementals that are operating it are. Yep. Ah. Makes, that makes sense. So. As a just kind of an interesting thing, it's quite possible that this sand cascade may actually outlive all of his other monuments. <laughs> yeah, and nobody knows about it. Especially if anybody who so much as touches a single grain is immediately destroyed. Yeah, and uh, this guy is also no slouch if you actually fight him. Even uh, without his mythic abilities, I'm sure. But you're not oh, going to yeah. tell us what any of that is yet because there's still a chance we could him off on the way out. And we're going to have to come back here again once we are actually ready to activate everything. I will say for your own edification, uh, one of his mythic abilities is the ability that everything that he hits with, uh, or when he hits people with his 
fists, he can petrify them. Oh. Okay, okay that gosh. that makes sense with the, you know, it Punch. looks like there's stone indentations. Also, again, mythic abilities can sometimes be unbalanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if you make holy the cow. Uh, even if you make the fortitude save, you're slowed. As you're Ow. trying to shake off the petrification. <laughs> we really got to get like some scrolls of freedom of movement or something so that we can Cuz you okay, I want to We really got to get mythic. Well, I don't First think off, we're gonna we, we got to get mythic cuz that should sound cool. But Rick, have you gone through and seen how many people have just been like Ah, oh, that's just fine. We'll just fight the Earth Elemental. No big deal. I don't think a lot of people do. That's good, because like, it seems like there was plenty of warnings to this, not. I don't know. This whole place, depending on how you go about it, just has so much you can just stumble into. It does. Let's put it this way, just as an interesting thought exercise. Say two things didn't happen. One, Hollis didn't step out into the hallway when you guys were fighting the Shining Children. And two, Masika did not cast Vision on the stone pedestal. Because Hollis teleported you straight from the ground and then up into that room, you would have never walked by the section of wall that was created or was created by an illusion that was only revealed by the lantern, which means that you would have never known about Beck and Topher before you left, unless you talked oh, to Tefnus you right. about it. And you wouldn't That's have known true. the details of his situation. His and then if you yeah. just shoved the life lantern into the receptacle, you would have also been on a time limit. So it would have been rushed over here. You know, we have to run through this sand cascade. Screw the, uh, what is it, 2d6 points of bludgeoning damage per round that you take. And uh, is it a four, it's a strength check or be knocked prone. Ooh. And then you have to make a strength check every time that you attempt to move in or out of it. So you can oh, just be knocked yeah, prone and, and then and buried under Beck the sand. And now Beck and Topra is just wailing on you, too. Mm -hmm. Yep. With his petrification With his fists. mythic abilities. Yeah. But fortunately, uh, those two things did not come to pass because you guys are fairly thorough. Points for being thorough. We're fairly thorough. Which probably means, means there's something. probably something we missed along the way. So I won't get into to details. And honestly, it's probably not this game. I think I'm probably thinking of another game. But sometimes you guys are so thorough that you undermine yourselves. <laughs> it's like a level of paranoia. <laughs> I wonder who taught us that. I was, was going to say, we, we have been burned times when we have not been paranoid enough. So we are like the most paranoid players. There's a part of me that's really scared that Hakatep has mythic levels. Yeah, or at least powers. He, I mean, well, it's not out of the realm here, of possibility. Here's the thing. If he does, there's not a, you know. Oh, we don't have a, a way to nullify his. Yeah. yeah, yet. He might if he were all together. Yeah, but we have to put him all together to put him back down. Well, we need to put down his current version and then put him all back together. We're not actually <laughs> sure how that works yet. We don't really yeah. know how that works, but you might be right. He might have, he probably has mythic levels if he's like fully restored. Yeah, I feel like that's probably. the bad ending, right? We will find yeah. out in the what if the party fails section at the end of this if we, you know, mm -hmm. don't all make it. Well, here, I'll, I'll let you in on a little, uh, little behind the scenes here. You definitely know that that Sphinx that you saw in a vision had mythic power. <laughs> mm. yep. Oh, well, yeah. Yep. That Sphinx was ridiculous. So, God knows you don't want to fight him. I'm very salty about the whole thing, but moving on. Oh, I'm really, like, not as broken up about it. I don't also, know. Also, we, we kind of breezed over in episode 69 that you guys had a mask vision there. And uh, I know somebody in the on our Discord commented about the fact that uh, Tedasura hinted about that Sphinx way back when you met her back uh, 50 episodes back. Tedasura spoke in 9,000 riddles, and I don't remember everything she said, to be 100% honest. I may have also thought what she said was about the sightless sphinx. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I appreciate any time that, uh, that our listeners catch my foreshadowing. Well, they're also, like, well, listening to it back-to-back, -back usually. Yeah. 
again, I'm not saying anything bad about y'all and not catching it. I'm congratulating our our listeners I, for being so thorough. I was, was going to say, if we remembered, now that would be insane because it's been like two years, you know. But I I do like when our when our our patrons and even our non patrons catch that kind of stuff because it was uh, another listener that caught the reference to the sightless sphinx at the part or yeah at the it was like a long long time ago yeah at the yeah. auction house yeah episode 30 or so yeah. i think about 100 episodes before you got there <laughs> gotta lay that groundwork early so uh speaking of laying groundwork you guys then went into the monument vault i don't know where that is going segue at which point you had uh, a whole bunch of long hallways so oh, we're maybe. going down exactly 10 feet we I feel like we're going gravity. down an upside down pyramid to be 100% perfectly honest. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought too when I looked at the map and I was like, uh, because this the is way it's spiraling down, down 10 feet and keep circling each other, I'm like, we're spiraling down an upside down pyramid. Mm-hmm. I kind of love it. I love the breakout Sudi and Sugar team. Yeah. And I love the reverse gravity randomly appearing more gravity stuff. Yeah. So it was a fun reverse gravity trap there. Which was ingenious because, like, it wasn't a trap. It, it was funny because Jess and I were talking about it afterwards. It's like they, it, like, from a design perspective, you literally couldn't have had the uh, there be like one of those false floors or whatever because, like, who's who's paranoid enough to just walk with a detect magic and would have caught that to be able to avoid it because it doesn't. It's not actually a trap, you know. It's just an environmental hazard or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then it would have been like, and it picks you up and throws you through the you know the breakaway floor or whatever. Would have been insane, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah, but it all worked out okay. And you know, again, this is a Chiss's sex unusual trap. It's kind of that whole uh, Dumbledore and Harry going to get the uh, the Horcrux. Minor spoiler alert for one of the Harry Potter. Uh, I think it was uh, Half Blood Prince. Half yeah. Blood Prince. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Where it was the you have to weaken yourself to get further and further. So it's the you know yeah you oh, have to, yeah, you have to yeah. fight your way through here and then it's you know divide and conquer where if you don't have a familiar that's intelligent enough or something like that to trigger it or somebody that's fast enough to run that distance, you either have to expend way more resources trying to get past this block, or you have to leave someone behind. Which I mean nobody's gonna want to do that. I know no. Chisisek was kind of amoral. I honestly he sounds like he's more true neutral that he just does what he wants to do, hmm. but. I love all of his architectural designs and everything. It makes me so happy. I, I will say from like a, as a software engineer, not a, uh, like a physical engineer, like if you just look at it in terms of fun problems to solve, like you can get into this thing of just like, I mean, this is just a problem that needs to be solved. Like I can just do this and solve the problem. And that's like, I get a, I get a special joy whenever I solve problems like that. But like, you know, if you don't think about the morals behind it, it's like, I mean, this could squish somebody, but it's a really good deterrent. It's really going to make, you know, you, somebody think. Yeah, you know who else thought that? Nahamra. And then he split a guy's soul into three pieces just to get some questions answered. Well, that's why you have to have that morality <laughs> part, right? Like, that's the 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 STEM half of the world really needs the humanities, and this is exactly. why. <laughs> that's exactly why, yes. <laughs> well, again, it gets back to that, that classic thing of, you know, Nahamra has magic, much like a man with a hammer. And it seems like everything can be solved by said magic. It's, I mean, Hollis understands and agrees. <laughs> well, and it's, it's oftentimes the whole like, oh, well, yeah, I can cast the levitation spell and do all the rest of this stuff to get us up there, especially when it's like a 30 foot cliff or something. It's like, does no one have like rope and a grappling hook and could just climb up this? Like, why is it suddenly we have to dimension door ourselves to the top of this cliff? Who 
wants to climb? It's, it's the problem with high level where like you get to the point where it's like you forget about the mundane ways of yeah. doing stuff and just think about like, yeah. oh, I have 800 different magic magic you, tricks. I, I mean, do, do this. you have a yes, magic hammer. And yes and no, an though, because my first thought when we got to that pit was. I bet if I run fast enough, I can just jump across it. But you're I thought that too. Yeah, that's what I thought too. <laughs> when you're playing the spellcaster, you're always like, hmm, I have seven levels of spells. I bet I can get around this. I can't remember if it was a society adventure. Maybe it was an adventure path. So I guess this would be main minor spoiler. Although since I can't remember what it even goes to, I don't even know how to apply that. I'm pretty sure I remember seeing a 10 foot wide hallway that had a 10 foot pit trap that was obvious that then had another pit, 10 foot pit trap on the other side that was <laughs> not. Oh, which is more or less just an F you to the rogue with trap spotter because you get to make the trap spotting roll when you're in mid air flying towards mm -hmm. the trap. <laughs> oh, that is <laughs> like that's, that's awful. That's the way to do it. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I, I did like the suggestion though that the uh, the little pass wall thing that that uh, we had was gonna do a little rolling ball down because it did feel very much like it was I just like thought that leading maybe... us where we'd have to just sprint over that trap. I just thought that maybe the pass wall did basically what it did earlier, that it raised a block or That's something. what I thought it did. Yeah. Although all of us thought it did something with a rock. So we were <laughs> all kind of eventually right. The, the <laughs> funniest thing about it is it is the most video gamey like so you have to run fast enough I've and seen it's all because yeah. it's, it's a timed event where it's like okay i can literally hear the tick 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 yep. tick like going in mm -hmm. my head yeah. as, as i'm thinking about this thing I raising just picture back it up like one of the isometric I, I you know things where you click on sudi and he hastes himself back through those hallways <laughs> and the rest of the party's just standing there yeah. although i mean that stone was just a regular stone right like i could have disintegrated if they got trapped on the other side but again, that goes back to the exact same thing where it's like, I could use a sixth level spell or we could just have Sudi use his freaking feet and run <laughs> Yeah. Hey, you used my magic chicken, so I helped. That's fair. Yep. Although technically that chicken used her natural 16 just, intelligence or whatever that comes from being yeah. a magical beast. So how do you want to okay, say Okay, I appreciate the fact that they, they kind of set it up where it's like, yeah, sorry, if you have a average or less intelligence, you're not worthy of being able yeah, to manipulate this. Yeah, what do you do this. if nobody in the party has above average intelligence? Like, you don't have an intelligence-based character. Then you don't have a wizard and you were not worthy to begin <laughs> with because this is Hakatap we're talking about. Well, sorcerers aren't necessarily smart. It's true. Oh, yeah, good point. Ooh. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, may maybe if you have a cleric that has low intelligence but a decent wisdom, they could, like, gate or summon something in and just be like, I just need oh. you to stand on this one spot and then take off running. <laughs> what if you, um, it's not Owl's Wisdom, whatever the intelligence version of that spell is. Like, Fox yeah, I mean, is I cunning, suppose even, blah, blah. I suppose even a temporary bonus. It doesn't say that Fox it has to be your I think Fox's cunning is the intelligence. I think okay. it is Fox's cunning. But I think you, you could maybe get around it that way. Yeah. Sudi made his dramatic run, uh, slid awesome. through. You're trapped down here now, but you know, feasibly you could well, teleport out. I have a teleport. We I, I, I did, <laughs> I did, I did talk to Jess afterwards, and I, and I was like, you know, my plan if I didn't actually make it through was to throw sugar through there and then meld into the roof. <laughs> meld into the stuff I mean, the roof and just wait for rescue. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's possible. You know, uh, I was just thinking about that. It's, it's really good that you guys still have the life lantern because otherwise if Hollis died down here, oh. you'd be like, um... We're stuck. Just kind of staring at the wall. <laughs> You'd yeah. have to break out. It would suck. It would take a long time, but I bet you could do it. Yeah. Well, I think technically, uh, I think Masika can take a like elemental body or something. Pray for that. And as a mm. shaman. I think I can take like, uh, I think shaman gets like a 
stone to mud and all that and stuff like that too. There's we could figure out a way to yeah. get out of here with yeah. Masika's magic, but see magic though you got to have it in some cases for sure. But hey, you haven't even gotten to your first encounter down here yet, which maybe know. next week. <laughs> I just looked for it to be somebody around that corner, and it'd be like Narmer looks around the corner and sees a pillar. No, he looks up. It becomes a big monster looming over him or yeah. something. I, 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 I was waiting for Rick to just be like, and the thing sees Narmer, roll for initiative, and I would spend my entire fight sprinting. <laughs> we already did a fight like that way, way back in the day when we got uh, teleported out by the crypt thing. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I suppose let's go ahead and get to some emails, shall we? All sure. right. All right, I've got a couple of them here. So we're going to start with our first email. This is from Regina from Southern Oregon in the Rogue River Valley. Does she wear pink on Wednesday? Uh, okay, wait. Know. Rogue River Valley sounds Which is pretty awesome. Super awesome. Uh, is that Regina a real clarifies, place? I'm writing from Southern Oregon, Oregon in the Rogue River Valley. We have mm-hmm. some of the best salmon fishing in the world, and each day on my two-hour round-trip commute, I drive through forests, often seeing herds of elk and other fauna. Wow. Since I can proudly say my half-elf druid made it all the way through Kingmaker's adventure path, I think the River Kingdom slash Stolen Lands is a fantastic Galarian analog for Southern Oregon. Yeah. I'm here for it. Nice. I'm here for druids. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. Says, feel free to uh, pick a city for us in this uh, lush and wild part of the world. Is it Seven Arches, I think, is in the River Kingdoms? It's like the Druid city that used to be that part sounds, of uh, Kionan. Sounds vaguely familiar. I'm not sure. I think so. Seven Arches, Southwestern River Kingdoms, built around seven stone arches scattered throughout the settlement. Site sacred to elves has not uh, been in elven hands since they left Galarian for the safety of sovereign uh, millennia ago. Hmm. Yep, it's under the rule of the Oak Stewards. Ah, I'm Ooh, here for it. Yes. Oh, apparently cool. is a druidic organization that rules the city. Nice. That's so nice. All right, seven arches it is then. Man. Oh, I, I didn't look that up beforehand. I just pulled that out. I was going to say, <laughs> Rick's esoteric knowledge once again <laughs> comes I into too play. played through five of the books of Kingmaker, so. <laughs> did, ah. you, did you make it through the CRPG? I did not. Mm-hmm. I didn't either. So. I have. Yeah, I fell off whenever I started playing the Varnhold Vanishing DLC. Huh. Anyway, Regina goes on to write... Hi, gang. Hello. Hello. I have held off writing until I, too, could say I'm all caught up with Mummy's Mask. (laughs) (laughs) I've been listening since December of 2020, thanks to my amazing husband's recommendation. Hi, babe. Go your husband. (laughs) Good on you, Regina's husband. And welcome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Way to expand the faith, man. Thanks for for joining our adventure. Regina goes on to say, My husband and I are both avid gamers who appreciate high-caliber gameplay. The five of you have even inspired me to start GMing for the first time with my grown kids and my son's significant other. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, nice. Yes, that's right. I am older than the other famous RPG by a few years. I'm old enough to be your mother, and I've been gaming since I was 12. (laughs) Just so I don't fall down on any of my motherly duties, are you eating all right? Did you sleep well? <laughs> Don't forget your favorite dice and have some fun storming the castle. Uh, so Dang, no, is no, in? She's definitely a have my dice and always have fun storming the castle. <laughs> I do none of these things. I'm narcoleptic, so I'm really good at sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I do that really Just well. superpower is her ability By to sleep By all of anywhere. our powers combined, we would make one healthy, functional person. <laughs> <laughs> but our dice are always around, so. Yeah, the dice are always there, so. <laughs> yeah. Regina goes on to say, I've been following along with the podcast and shamelessly stealing ideas from Rick for my campaign. 
Awesome. We too have a character who knows Serthet from Time Together in Sothis, like Hollis. Yeah. Fun. Oh, nice. Yay. Cool. Another character has ties to a group in the Parched Dunes, like Masika. Nice. I am, however, struggling to include the backstory for our elf character. The player is newer to gaming and had her heart set on an orphaned elf raised on the docks of Totra. I find myself listening to each episode of the podcast thinking, maybe this episode Rick will mention more about that mysterious elf we've seen with Hakatep. That will give me some ideas. Oh. And she's kind of fallen into the background. We haven't really touched much on her Rick, since Rick, you should be nice to Regina and maybe give her some inside scoop so she can help in her own campaign. Well, she seems to think the same since she says, so Rick, feel free to write me back <laughs> privately and spill the beans. I promise to act surprised when it all comes out of the podcast. She's looking for that insider knowledge of what's going to happen so she can place bets. We, we're I, on to you, Regina. I will do so, Regina. Unfortunately, a lot of these emails, the moment we get them in, they kind of go into a file so that we can all read them fresh. So sometimes when it's a, when it's a little bit more timely, I don't quite get on it. Uh, she goes on to say, let me ask the group, any thoughts on for how I might tie this character closer to the plot of the people in Mummy's Mask. All right, what was the name of the city? Because I don't actually know this Totra. City. Totra is um, the largest of Osirian's port cities outside of Sothis. It's often seen not only as a symbol of the country's power, but as a symbol of its excess as well. When the An Dynasty subjugated what would become Thuvia and Rahadum with its fleets known as the Great Utqua, Totra saw an influx of slaves who would build the country's pyramids and monuments. The city's underclass Underclasses uh, and nobility are still almost exclusively Gurundi. It's harbor and harbor suspicious and prejudice against the Kelishites for the millennia of foreign rule. Is she a Gurundi elf? Maybe. Probably. Uh, following the death of the fallen pharaoh and the Kadiran invasion of 1532, many of Tocha's ancient monuments were topped by the, toppled by the invaders. In a turnaround, the city's harbor now hosts the red granite statue of Enhepsu II. The city is loyal to Kemet III, but the nobility bemoan the heavy taxation they suffer. Hmm. So the nobility, well, she grew up on the dock, so she's probably not a noble. Probably not. Okay. Like, okay. She's probably right. seen a lot of people and a lot of racism. If she's an elf, she might've been around long enough to have seen like Kalashite rule herself. I mean, depending on the age, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as far as like direct tie-ins where you'd get that, you know, you get that nod um, in the story, at least as far as we're in it, you don't go to Totra, technically don't go to Sothos either. You do um, a lot of sailing, even though it's sand sailing or river sailing. Yeah. she's a sailor. Yeah, so I mean, you could you could work in like a, a character, like their mentor or something like that. Or just a protege or a person that Protege or a friend or somebody who's like, you know, maybe has a boat and takes them to... Or is the boat? person that you've run into like I don't know where they are in this campaign but we yeah. made friends with that guy on Yoris Red and Poetry or read his poetry remember? True. Yeah the, there are merchants that you know travel by land through the Parched Dunes we ran in a couple of them too you could always say some of her old friends or something from the docks happen to be in that merchant caravan if uh, you guys haven't gotten that far yet mm -hmm. or with that really ridiculous merchant guy remember him? Yeah, that's oh, what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. In the Parched yeah. Dunes. Yeah, the really ridiculous merchant guy. Because yeah. <laughs> he had a whole caravan with him, like a whole merchant party. So, yeah. I mean, you could easily put in some NPCs from her past, from the character's past there. If you're you know. really early, they could have also come and joined the lottery. Yeah. Piece and people from her past that did that. I'll definitely send uh, Regina a little bit of information about, uh, about that elf, because this isn't the... Uh, 
the last input of her you'll ever see. I didn't expect it would be. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Hollis is like, elf, we're never involved. Well, especially because <laughs> this was during, uh, this was before the elves returned. So this would have had to have been an elf that yeah. somehow was part of a family that stayed during Earthfall. Old school elf. But an interesting thing I think could be a fun tie-in would be the elves of the Mwangi Expanse didn't flee when the other elves did during Starfall. And that means that many of them may have been involved in the early on adventures with Magambia, as well as the 10 magic warriors, which can oh, tie yeah. them into the Shori. So oh, yeah, you could do something point. fun with saying maybe early on with the Shori, they were working with these elves of the Mwangi Expanse. And so maybe this elven character somehow distantly related to that, tying it back into cool. Shori magic, as well as uh, a little dab into the Magambian School of Magic and Old Mage Jatembe and all the rest yeah. of that, which is always fun. And uh, poking around on the archives of Nethys for the second edition, er Heritage, there is a Desert Elf Heritage, so all you guys are playing, I guess, first edition. There's no, even though we never encountered them in our game, you could always say that there's a tribe of Desert Elves out in the Parch Dunes and... Yeah. She's, you know, she got, maybe somehow she got separated from her family, you know, kind of like a Sudi situation yeah, or something. Yeah. And so she grew up an orphan in this city, but, you know, oh my gosh, my people are really from the desert. Hmm. So you might, you know, you could do something like that as well. Yeah. So Regina goes on to state, uh, on a final note, since you have been asked on more than one, more than once on the podcast about how to incorporate or improve role playing and gaming, might I suggest the quote improv book for gamers? Hey, I have that book. Oh, yeah, we have that, actually. Yep, you can find it on uh, evilhat.com backslash home backslash improv for gamers. I want an evil hat. That sounds like fun. <laughs> I think that's yeah, the I publishing that studio. It's very good. Little yeah, I know, but I'm just saying it's, it's fun. Have an evil looking hat. It is a fantastic resource written by a person with years of experience as both an improv artist and gamer. She walks you through exercises and games to help you and your gaming group get more comfortable with the role playing aspects of gaming. And Regina highly recommends it. Uh, that is a good call. Yeah. Yep. She goes on to say, again, thank you for the hours of entertainment and the chance to bond and connect with my family, especially during the trying times of the pandemic. Sincerely, oh. Regina. Oh, I thank think Regina's you. really Adria. <laughs> <laughs> she has a PS of what she says she whispers. I remember really liking Waterworld when it came out. Ah! <laughs> oh, dang. Ah, ah. Oh, man. Yes. Well, you know who else would like Waterworld? Adria. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You're not See, wrong. One by one, I'm building the Waterworld fandom, or at least I have just to say, connecting you're building them. a Waterworld. <laughs> if there's anything I've learned on this podcast, it's that there's a lot more people that liked Waterworld than I thought. <laughs> that movie is so bad. I'm it sorry. is so good. It had a great concept. It's it so had good. its moments that were that questionable, far. but it had a good concept. <laughs> okay, it had like, questionable stuff. Sure. Okay, it had like. I don't know how what the runtime on that movie is, but 95% of that movie is questionable. That's okay? right there. That statement <laughs> itself is questionable because I still love that movie. Y'all suck. I, I will say I did watch all the Planet of the Apes movies oh from God. the like 60s and 70s recently, and it was a lot better than the third through fifth ones. <laughs> okay, I was going to say the second bizarre. one wasn't terrible. but The second one, the first and second ones are good, but the third, fourth, and fifth are real bad. Yeah, especially the one where, like, he's in a carnival or something like that, or it wasn't even a zoo. I think it was a traveling circus. They switched out the babies oh, or yeah, something. Oh, yeah, and they switched out the, the baby. baby. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Spoilers for a 50-year-old movie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Email number two comes from Kathy, Zombcat on the Discords. Ah, oh, nice. hey, what's up? Hello. She says, uh, hi, find the path pod. Hello. 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 I'm Kathy, uh, Rinwald's wife 
from New Jersey oh. slash Sandpoint, the real New Jersey analog. Nice. <laughs> 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 I like Sandpoint, and it's I like Sandpoint. devil. But there's a Jersey devil or Sandpoint the, devil. Be, yeah, I was gonna right. say I've been to, I've been to New Jersey, and uh, it's nice. The part I went yeah. to. I was surprised this week to hear you call dinosaurs, reptiles, and lizards. Then again, judging by your 90s references, this is what we'd been taught in school. We this, grew up on Jurassic Park. This change in classification is fairly recent and would have been a hot debate amongst paleontologists when we were in elementary school, as most teachers prefer to teach science as a series of indisputable facts rather than a collection of data and best guesses. I'm not surprised this debate wasn't even taught. Uh, when telling the difference between a giant lizard and a dinosaur, both singer-songwriter Shakira and paleontologist Brusset <laughs> say the same thing, the hips, hips don't, don't lie. lie. <laughs> I love <laughs> If the hips make their legs splayed out like a turtle or crocodile, it's a reptile. If their legs are straight like a dog or a bird, it's a dinosaur. Oh. Huh. I realize that by this reasoning, dragons are closer to dinosaurs, but that's how the classification works. Dragons and dinosaurs feel the same. Yeah. Uh, there is an asterisk on that that says that this comes from The Rise and Fall of Dinosaurs by Steve Brusset. I'm going to assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, I think Sugar would love it, but it may make her ego a little too big for Hollis to handle. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Hollis she's technically just fun. a little fuzzy dinosaur. <laughs> they are. Have you seen? I've seen like people that take T-Rexes um, and chickens and they superimpose them, like scale them yeah. the same size. Yeah. And then they draw a fuzzy, feathery t-rexes and it's pretty i'm amazing. sorry i just i know it's the science but i will never picture a dinosaur feathery i, oh, just I like it it's very <laughs> fat like all of my all dinosaurs in like galarian are feathery to me and i quite enjoy oh, it oh no that's I know. not how i picture i was them. gonna say i looked at them classically in, yeah yeah in the third jurassic park mind you it was not one of the good ones but um they actually did start incorporating like feather-like I guess characteristics mm -hmm. like on the velociraptors because of the whole they're actually avians thing, which I found really interesting. Yeah. I watched a whole behind the scenes. I don't know but we why. We have also found movie, fossils that with the like scaly kind of print, you know, next to them I as mean, well. It's probably a little so. column A, a little column B. Yeah, it was probably a yeah. mix. Oh yeah. But I will always picture dinosaurs like giant lizards. <laughs> it's just that's how they are in my brain. <laughs> You, of uh, all people, should appreciate the hip bone, Heather. Yep. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Kathy goes on to say, I hope you find this as interesting as I did. I, I did, did, actually. Yeah. Very good. Druid facts. Yeah, uh -huh. druid facts. Uh, you're all amazing, and I thought you might enjoy some dino druid facts also. Nice. <laughs> druid facts. I mean, facts. Like, like I said, in my brain, I know they're avians, and I know <laughs> birds come from dinosaurs, but I just my brain pictures T-Rex. And there's no feathers. Yep. And I'm just old, I guess. <laughs> T-Rexes with feathers Let them are be fabulous, brain, Heather. But... Let them be fabulous. Yeah, if they, they want to be fabulous, they can. Yep. She goes on to say, I wrote a few articles for Wayfinder 21 and helped cool. edit a few as well. I'd love to hear how my favorite podcasters enjoyed the issue as a whole. Uh, I have not read it, but actually now that uh, you yeah, mentioned that, either. I will. Yeah, let's go read it. She says, especially my story until the air is sweet. Oh, Fun. Hmm. Go track that sounds I'll have to check that like out. Like it involves baking, but it probably doesn't. <laughs> but it could. Either baking or suffocation. Take your, take your pick. Mm. Thanks for the podcast. I can't wait to hear back from you guys. Well, thank uh, you, Kathy. Here you are. Yeah, I'm bad at keeping up with the Wayfinder magazine. Oh, yeah, me yeah, me too. I'm I don't a have a subscription. Date. I would usually flip through them when Rick used to get his paizo stuff delivered to my house when he lived in an apartment but now he has a house so they go to him so i i just i don't <laughs> well yeah. what that means is you need to come down here more often and hang out 
And steal Rick's mail. And read Wayfinder. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have a third and final email here. This is from Kevin in Astoria, Oregon. I know Astoria. nothing about Astoria. I just know I've always loved that name. Like yeah. I, I've always yeah. seen it and loved it. Uh, but that's all I know about. Okay, it. but that's Oregon. <laughs> we just placed someone in Oregon the in, the in the Druid river kingdoms. city, so we could put him in a different river kingdom city. Daggermark. There we go. Daggermark. Cool. Daggermark. I hope you like Daggermark poison. Daggermark sounds cool. <laughs> I hope you like poison. There's a. I think there's a Daggermark assassin prestige class even. Cool. Probably. Feels right. They're all, they're real big. It, it's funny because uh, their top two religions are Caden Kayleen and Norgaber. So, <laughs> oh, fun. It's an Those interesting Those are the people town. you want at a party together. <laughs> I was going to say, they're fans of the Starstone down there in Daggermark. <laughs> yep, either the fast poison of Norgaber or the slow poison of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Why not both? So Kevin from Daggermark writes in, Hi, Pathfolk. Hello. Hey. Hello. Just thought I'd give all of you a deep thank you for all the hard work that each of you puts into the podcast. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. As a small business owner who almost always has headphones on while making ice cream at our shop, I've learned that there's an abundance of podcasts out there, but not nearly as many of a quality equal to yours. Okay. Thank you. Very cute. But also, we need to go to this ice cream. I know. Yeah. I heard ice cream and I'm like, what? Road trip to Astoria. (laughs) How far is. uh... It's far. But you know, Oregon's nice. Oregon yeah, is very nice. I almost moved there as a kid. How far is it from Seattle is what I'm saying from Pi- for PaizoCon? Because Oregon's... Oh, you're thinking like a hey, pre-slash-post-Paizo yes. pi- uh, trip. Let's go get some freaking ice cream. Anyway. <laughs> Let's go to Astoria, specifically to Kevin. Well, we got to go to Daggermark, honestly. Yeah. Specifically to Kevin's place. Yep. Kevin goes on to say, So thanks for all of the entertaining hours that I've been able to spend with all of you. When I first started binging Mummy's Mask, I hilariously struggled to remember whose characters were whose, except on Eurus, due Aww. to the triple S for the other three. <laughs> I remember that. We learned our lesson, and we try not to do that anymore. Yeah. Yep. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I'd like to think that 150-plus episodes later, I finally got it locked down. <laughs> Good. <laughs> nice to know. So, that makes one of us. Now we only have two S's, so. It's true. Well, there's three because sugar. There's three because of yeah, sugar. Yeah, but sugar's yeah. a chicken, and you know, she she's doesn't always still talk. important. Yeah, but yeah. she's not she like a main this character. Last she's like a support character. I yeah. just like that the first two letters of her name and the first two letters of Sudi is the exact same. But she has a shuh sound, not a sus sound. It's true. It's, it's true. Welcome so, to the English language. Yep. Mm. Quick question and suggestion and compliment. Oh, all for Rick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, poor Kevin. Rick. Uh, suggestion first. Rick, I learned years ago when I opened my little scoop shop what allowed me to make a will save against the psychic damage of regular compliments is just to say, thank you. I work really hard, so I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, well, I do work really hard, so I do appreciate that. I was going to say, Rick, you work very hard. So <laughs> so we're learning more about this ice cream place. It's like entirely away from Rick. I- I'm very disappointed that uh, Kevin did not include the name for the ice cream place. I know. Maybe the really really shop. Shop. Like, find okay, out. Kevin, this is prime marketing time, man. Look at yeah. all the people if we you, can be If you write to. back in, I will I will name drop your your show on this. Heck yeah. Your show? Your shop. Your shop. Your scoop shop. Your scoop shop. It's about it a three-hour drive from Seattle to Astoria. <laughs> is nothing? there a scoop shop in Astoria? <laughs> I... <laughs> Is it literally called the Scoop Shop? Because that would be funny. It, it wasn't capitalized, so. Oh. And then we could go to the beach, because Astoria looks like it's on the beach. There you go. Kevin goes on to say, consider that me giving you a bonus on your save for the following. <laughs> I usually don't read these so that I don't have to read these out loud. Ah, Rick had to host today. This is perfect. Yep. 
Rick, you are hands down the kind of DM I strive to be to the point where I've started saying a telling hit in my games. <laughs> Have you started putting in the vicious too? A vicious hit. Or the, it looks clear. That's my absolute favorite. <laughs> he stole that from Pitch Black. I did. <laughs> and though I doubt I'll ever be where you are, the skill with which you run a game is exemplary. Thank you. I appreciate that, Kevin. You, oh, you forgot that. <laughs> I, no, I, no, work forgot the, I work very hard. I do work very hard. <laughs> I so I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm working on that 10,000 hour rule. Anyway. I think you've probably hit 10,000 oh, hours. I think you've probably yeah. hit that. <laughs> I'm getting there. That's when you're truly an expert. Y'all ready? Mm -hmm. It could be Freet and Scoop, which is an ice cream and french fry shop. <gasps> it could be Sweethearts, Cones, and Candy. Did we all look it up on Google? Because I, I think totally we did. did that <laughs> I was I like, there's this Astoria co-op too and the Custard King. You got to tell us, bud. Anyway. Yep. All right. I'll shush now. <laughs> Kevin goes on to say, when there is a flashback, a divination you wouldn't have planned for, or even just a chat with a riddlesome sphinx, your ability to improv not only consequential information, but entertaining information that fits into a wider narrative is truly a thing to behold. How do you do it? Now, that's one <laughs> of the big questions. How do you do it, Rick? Copious notes is, uh, is one advantage. That way you're really just never caught off guard. So a lot of times if it's, hey, there's a divination, just have notes or sometimes just have to make things up on the fly. As players, we can't tell the difference, so, you know. Yep. <laughs> Having players that understand that if they're just going to suddenly spring something on you, like, I'm going to cast a divination and I need you to come up with a cryptic saying or something, that they <laughs> give you a minute to do so. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Honestly, it's just have all the information readily available and sometimes, especially if you're working with pre-published material, make sure you copy and paste the relevant information because there's sometimes large swaths of here's rules-based information if you need to know how many hit points in the break DC of a door is. Uh, and right before that was also the description of, oh, and by the way, all the ceilings in these rooms are 10 feet high and they're 10 feet high because of the giants that built the structure 5,000 years ago or something. And that's relevant information, whereas the other information is good, is relevant for the game. Was it separating the crunch and the fluff? Yep. So. It also helps to practice. Rick has a lot of experience GMing. Yeah, I mean, again, it's that so, 10,000. Know. The the 10,000 hour rule is that you can be, anyone can be considered a an expert or a master in something or gain expertise. It's not necessarily just raw talent that you could actually gain the expertise just through repetition. And the 10,000 hours is believed to be the... Uh, yeah, that's, okay. it's like the, the Macklemore song, 10,000 hours. I didn't know that there was a Macklemore song. It's actually a really good one. Well, now you know. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Came up with came the uh, 10,000 hours. 10, hours of intense practice to achieve mastery of complex skills and materials. So, uh, yeah, that would be my suggestion. And uh, Kevin then signs off. Okay, sorry for the novel. I wouldn't consider that a novel, but I do uh, appreciate I all the close. feedback, Kevin. Thank you. I really want ice cream now, though. I was yeah. gonna say I'm hungry. I'm it should be okay. Sorry for making cream. you want ice cream. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> yeah, again for all you do. I'm not telling you where to get it in a story. Could have at least know. attached a picture of the of the ice cream man. Come on. Yeah. So when you hear this, Kevin, please email us in and let us know the name of your ice cream shop. We'd love to give it a shout yeah. out. Little do you know, we're gonna show up when you buy ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We're gonna also need your hours your hours of operation and when you're. We working. could find that once we have the name. Yeah, he'll be there. That's how owning a small business is. Oh, yeah, that's true. A small, yeah, it's a small. He'll be the guy in the sure. back listening to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, we demand to speak to Kevin. <laughs> All right. So I suppose just to uh, to finish wrapping things up, we need to cast a deity real quick. Or not cast okay. a deity. One of our casting our legends. I'm ready to cast oh, a yeah, legend. legend. Yes. Rick, you have to roll your own dice on this. I do. All right. So for today's casting, we'll be casting 
the ruby phoenix herself, Haojin. Ooh. Haojin was a powerful sorceress who lived in the city of Goka on the continent of Tian Sha. She is also known as the Ruby Phoenix for her bright red hair that grew an ever brighter shade of red whenever she arose from the dead by resurrection magic. Haojin was born in Golka to an Abadarian priestess and a painter who emphasized the importance of order and creativity in her life. She loved exploring the Empress Yin Museum, home to countless relics from Yings, whose stewards were fond of her but often told her to be more careful around the exhibits. Her recklessness eventually burnt the museum, killing Haojin and destroying countless exhibits. Her parents, at great expense, had her resurrected, igniting her talent as a sorcerer. Wow. Uh, Haojin's resurrection and irrevocable damage she did to the museum changed Haojin. As her powers developed, Haojin sought to recreate her deity's collection of vast magic items, wealth, and treasures in a mortal version of the first vault, like how our patron Abadar does. After living for several centuries, Haojin succeeded in accumulating an impressive collection, of, but eventually realized that her hoard was only safe while she lived. In response, Haojin strove for immortality. Driven by her desire to acquire the greatest collection of magical wonders from across Galarian, but such power consistently eluded her. Feeling her collection, fearing her collection would be stolen, broken up, or simply lost to history, she made her plans for her eventual permanent domain, the Haojin Tapestry. So, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with Constance Wu. Nice. Who is awesome. She was in Fresh Off the Boat as the mom. And she was in like Crazy Rich Asian. She was like the main character in that. But she's just very, she just has a really good presence, I think, that makes sense for someone like Haojin. Then I can also see her being very meticulous in her collection and, and very kind of thoughtful. And, and I can't find the word. It's not domineering. It's like in charge of stuff. <laughs> but like better than that. Yeah. I get what you mean. Okay. So yeah, Constance Wu. Nice. For my pick, I'm going to go with Michelle Yeoh. Always a good choice. Uh, is always a good choice. Uh, you may know her from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She is on uh, Star Trek Discovery as uh, Philippa Giorgio. She was also in Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> she was also in Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, she was in Shang-Chi recently. Um, she's apparently going to be in the new Avatar movies, according to her IMDb. But uh, yeah, no, Michelle Yeoh, like I enjoy her and everything I've seen her in. She is always, she's, she has that presence like you were talking about, Jess, of like, she just like kind of commands the room, especially mm -hmm. in Discovery. Like she's great in Discovery. That's it, commands the room. I don't know, when I, when I think uh, a phenomenal Asian actress that can really get across comedy, it's hard not to go for Aquafina. <laughs> oh, right. Good. Just because oh, yeah. she's great, she plays... She just feels like a naturally mischievous person. Yeah. That's true. That's she true. Pulls yeah. off a mean Danny DeVito. <laughs> she, she actually does, if you've seen the Jumanji sequel, um, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not nearly as good as the first one. The first one was surprisingly good. But no, she's uh, she's a great actress, phenomenal actress. I know that she does uh, a lot of music also. So, you know, she's a woman of various talents. And uh, again, the idea of her just going, well, I accidentally burned down a... Uh, the museum, I guess I better start collecting magic stuff. And uh, she's also from Crazy Rich Asians. Also from Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> Apparently, Crazy Rich Asians is the place to cast from right now. <laughs> it's a good movie, by the way. Crazy Rich Asians is a great movie, yes. She's also a great improviser. So Mine is not from Crazy Rich Asians. Dang, neither is mine. Y'all suck. Get out of here. Uh, all right, all right. 
All right, so none of y'all are gonna know who I'm about to like nominate, but there, I put a picture of her in the chat. We don't know her, that. We might know them. Her name is Hikaru Shida, and she's a professional Japanese wrestler. Okay, you're right. <laughs> okay, okay, all right, all right. Okay, I figured you were gonna do an actress. You pulled out a wrestler. She does so act. Yeah. She does act. She has in acted. that way that all wrestling is acting. Well, no, she actually has been in like recorded, like has a YouTube series and oh, things cool. like that. She's one of my favorite wrestlers from A&W, but I also thought about her because she's kind of got, a, she's really goofy. Like if you watch any of the stuff where it's actually her just being herself and not wrestling. She also has some musical talent. She can, she plays the piano on one of the specials. She played a bunch of Final Fantasy and video game melodies on her one uh, of us one yes. of us she has a black and white cat named rudo which you know people need familiars man i am not gonna lie i'm i'm a little tempted by heather's casting just because hal jen also is the one that arranged the ruby phoenix tournament which is basically yeah. just um, yeah, oh that's actually that's a good point um, yeah. you might wait for mine Oh, and the okay. picture the picture i sent you all is actually her cosplaying as tiffa from final fantasy uh, seven. That was her wrestling outfit for a long time. She changed it recently and I was sad, but yep. I don't know. Something about organizing a tournament uh, just made me think of Hikaru Shida. Cool. So. It's a fun, interesting casting. Mm -hmm. Rachel? I picked Jessica Henwick. You probably know her as Colleen Wing from Iron Fist. Um, oh. Where she was the best thing in that show. Let's yes, be honest. Yes. Her whooping up in like the cage fights. Yes, please. Um, she's freaking amazing. She was also in Game of Thrones. Sure. She's going to be in a bunch of really big projects coming up. She's going to be in the new Matrix movie. She's going to be awesome. in the second Knives she's Out movie. She's in Love Monsters. She's so awesome. And she's just, she's got a presence. She also commands a room. She's just cool. I like her. I think she's a good choice. That is a very good choice. Mm -hmm. well, All right, good luck so, picking, y'all. Yeah. We got some uh, some really good, kind of a range of uh, serious actresses, comedic actresses, and then serious butt kick actresses. So uh, <laughs> yep. go ahead and uh, feel free to go and check out our voting over on our subreddit. Yep. And let us know your thoughts. And until next time, good luck, Pathfinders. Bye, Pathfinders. Bye, Pathfinders. Go put on Reddit. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.